Coming up, the number one fantasy book podcast, breaking down the scrolls and spells of nerd culture. We're Phantology. You may have heard of us. And no one, like, there was like zero votes for freedom. So I don't know what's wrong with you guys. Freedom is clearly the best story. Well, it is. I mean, I, I think that the, the subreddit for the first law is very underappreciated. There's not a lot of contributors to that. So how many votes total? There were, there? There were tens of votes, at least. Yeah. <laughs> tens of votes. Okay. <laughs> All right. I think the top one had like 40 something. I don't remember what it was offhand. Okay. All right. All right, what's up, Temple Knights of Thont and other First Law enthusiasts? Welcome to another Phantology episode. This one may be a little bit quicker just because the book is a little bit shorter here. We're talking Sharpens by Joe Abercrombie, which is in fact a collection of his short stories that you shouldn't read until you've after you've read Red Country and maybe before you've read the Age of Madness series. So Ryan and I are both at that point in our readings, neither one of us have read A Little Hatred. So Ryan, what did you think of Sharpens? I was pleasantly surprised, which I, I mean, I've never really read through an entire collection of short stories like you have with The Witcher. So I wasn't really expecting, I, I don't know, it was a little bit more cohesive than I thought it would be. Yeah, I'm kind of with you for whatever reason. Short stories are not a huge draw for me. Mm-hmm. For, for whatever reason, right? I guess I'm just kind of used to the big, long epic fantasy. And when you think, oh, this one's shorter, it just seems different. And sometimes we don't like things that are different. But in this case, I'm with you. I was I was really into these this collection of short stories. I mean, no surprise, if you like Joe Abercrombie, you're going to like this book as well. Yeah, typical Joe Abercrombie. I mean, most of the stories have very dark undertones and... Lots of bad things happen to main characters, so if if you're not a fan of that stuff, you're not going to be a fan of this. But people probably aren't going to be watching this review unless they're a fan of Joe Abercrombie, I assume. <laughs> and you're also not going to read Sharp Ends unless you've read the other books, or you're going to have no idea what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I, it would be very confusing, to say the least. It's, it's very much a, a tribute to the fans here, maybe a little bit. We have several different characters throughout the previous six books that show up. Not everyone, but a lot of characters do. You get different viewpoints from folks you haven't seen inside their heads nearly as much. You get some backstory that's only been talked about for some characters. And there is an entire new narrative for two new characters. I think they have at least four stories to themselves. Might have to fact check myself right away for possibly five and they're just as memorable as a lot of the uh, a lot of joe's characters from the full-length novels at least in my opinion yeah i was i mean like i like i mentioned before it was cohesive and part of what added to that was the fact that a lot of these short stories were actually following the same characters at different points in their life like uh javra and what was the name of Shevedia. Shevedia, yes. So f- following Javra and Shevedia, there were a few a few stories that really just kind of pulled it together. You could always 
look forward to those chapters. Also, to mention that a lot of the other stories centered around characters or events that we're already familiar with. So I think all of those kind of helped it feel a little bit disconnect, uh, less disconnected. Yeah, absolutely. It read as if it was almost like a a history of what we'd seen, but you're getting s- small snapshots from different parts that really kind of piece together a lot of previous events. Definitely not necessary to read, right? You're going to get your full breadth of the story of the first lost story without reading the short stories. But if you're a completionist and you really enjoyed what you've read thus far, I think it's really hard to pass up on this one. On a, a little bit off topic, you know, I think it's we always rave about Joe Abercrombie's novels, but Stephen, you and I are the last one standing out of all of us who started Best Served Cold on I, I guess it was just you, myself, Ben and Josh, right? Jake Jake never started yeah it. yeah out of the phantology five we're still waiting to jumpstart jake's journey into first law ben and josh are the first trilogy and best served cold and they have fallen off the bandwagon for yeah. some reason i mean they, they have a reason there's a lot of books to read right and they just haven't kept on going but we yeah. appear to be the biggest fans although from what you've said you will be falling off the bandwagon soon because i'm going to read a little hatred and be ready for the trouble with peace, yep. which comes out in a couple of weeks. But you will not be ready, sadly. I I won't be. I'm, this is going to be my last Joe Abercrombie video for a while, mainly because, mainly in anticipation of Rhythm of War, which will be coming out at November seventeenth. So I am doing my due diligence as a Sanderson fanboy and rereading Way of Kings. Words of Radiance, which I'm currently on, and then I'm going to read Warbreaker, Edge Dancer, Oathbringer, and finally Rhythm of War. So and, just a few books there. <laughs> and my wife and I are going to be having a baby sometime while I'm reading those, so I don't know if I'm going to have any time for a little hatred or trouble with peace. What is the chance that the baby's name ends up being Kaladin? <laughs> yeah, I think we can safely say the baby will not be named Kaladin. Although my wife Sydney did mention that she liked the name Ellen when we were reading Mistborn, but oh, yeah, actually, just sneak that in there. Okay. I'm actually not the biggest fan of the name Ellen, so I don't think that's going to be the name either. What about Brando Sando? Yeah. Brando Sando. Um, a little bit of a mouthful maybe. Not not a great first name. Maybe if he maybe if Brandon Sanderson himself agreed to give me the number one copy for all of his upcoming Stormlight Archive books. I would definitely agree to that. So who cares about my son's name? It's really the Stormlight Archive, which will be a lasting legacy of our lives. Very true. Anyway, let's get let's get back on topic. Yeah, let's, that was let's, a tangent. A good tangent, but to uh, to start off with sharp ends. So this doesn't need to be a super long review, and I think it'll kind of naturally tie itself up more quickly since there's not as much here as we typically cover in an episode. But I have some notes on each of the stories, and I'll just kind of remind you what they were. We'll get some thoughts and and talk through maybe some of the what we liked, what we didn't like, characters, etc. Maybe some uh, significance of events that we that we might have seen. And then towards the end, let's each of us have like our top three stories from the collection. Okay. Okay. 
So story one, and we'll do this in publication order. It's in chronological order, except for the very last one is actually the second chronologically. But story number one is in the year 566. It's called A Beautiful Bastard. And it is about primarily about Glockta before the events of the original trilogy, before he was captured and tortured by the Gurkish. And we see him as the magnificently conceited person that he was. I mean, he still is. But before he is tortured, we kind of see who he was completely. It's almost like we're seeing a shell of that person by the time the original trilogy starts. So what did you think of this view on Glockta? It was super interesting. Um, You see him kind of as his more confident, like socially accepted. He's, He's kind of at the top of, I guess, the social pecking order at this point in his life. He's on top of the world and he's really not a good guy. You can tell all he really cares about is seducing girls and winning fights and doesn't really care who else gets hurt along the way. He's kind of like Iron Man, Iron Man at the beginning before he became a real Avenger. Yeah, Tony Stark-ish. Yeah, definitely a vibe like that. And I, I almost feel like after he's he's tortured, it's it's more like his exterior matches his what's inside, you know, because Mm. before he's he's just this very handsome person. And uh, the the viewpoint that you're watching it from, what's that guy's name? Pike. It's Inquisitor. Salem Ruse. Salem Ruse. The the guy who he tortures at the very beginning of the the trilogy. He's just so conflicted in his thoughts about Jezza. He's, He's just always he's he's like man i hate him but but i love him and he's he's like he just makes fun of me but i'm still gonna suck right. up to him no matter what yeah glockta has got this crew of sycophants that are willing to use him you know, just give him whatever he wants in order to make their own way up the social ladder of which he stands at the very top it's like how everyone laughs at the boss's jokes and, and mm-hmm. everyone just clings off of everything Glockta does. And at the end of the story, off he goes. Did I call him Jezza? I did. I, I, I did call him Jezza. I, for some reason, I, I was getting them confused. But they, yes, I There's some Glockta. similarities, obviously. They're supposed to be. Yes, yeah, so Glockta, he, he goes, rides off into the sunset with victory all but assured, at least in his uh-huh. mind. And we know it is literally going to be a sunset of sorts for him. <laughs> Yeah, he's going he's going to get captured by the Gurkish and his life will never be the same. One other thing that you didn't mention was was uh, West appears in the oh, story yes. as well as as well as Tunny from the Heroes. Kind of funny to see him, but but West has a larger part to play in the little story because he's dueling with Glockta mostly for sport, but then as they're dueling, West is somehow better than Galacta thinks and he scores a touch on him with their practice uh, foils and then Glockta is like I'm going to kill you now because yeah. you you know you, you dishonored you shamed me in front of these people and now we're using real swords and he's literally trying to kill his friend of sorts mm-hmm. and that just really shows you where Glockta's nobody at. shames Glockta 
Made me miss Colonel West. Yeah, I was. I never liked his fate. I mean, I'm okay with characters being killed off, but he just got written off so casually with no real. Like we never actually saw him die. It was just like, oh, he is sick now, and also he's withering away. And goodbye. Yeah, he was. Uh, you know, like most of um, Abercrombie's characters, he was a good character with significant flaws. And he, yeah, I just kind of got written out. It wasn't satisfying. He didn't die in a heroic way or yeah, it just wasn't a satisfying ending for me. Agreed. This, this, this short story reinforced that a bit. Yeah. I didn't think he had the greatest arc, but small criticism. Okay. Story number two is called small kindnesses. It takes place in 573. And this is our intro into Javre and Chevetia. And this story, I don't think there's a whole lot to write home about. It's mostly just to introduce who these guys are. And when I was first reading it, I was like, okay, that story was finished. What was the point of it? We saw Severard briefly uh, as, as a, you know, he was involved with, with Chevetia at the time. But other than that, I mean, there's some fighting. They meet. Didn't love this one. Yeah, it was mainly just setting things up. I agree. I wasn't super interested in this story. You're not really familiar with any of the characters beforehand, except Severard, who wasn't that major of a character. I think he's a very fairly minor character in the first trilogy. Yeah. yeah. So I I didn't I didn't feel particularly attached to him. What do you think of of maybe this is the time to talk about this? What do you think of uh, Javre and and uh, Chev as a whole in terms of did you like the fact that they had all these different stories in different parts of the world? They were almost like a Forrest Gump ish type of tale where they were present for all these big events, but in the distance and they were observing things and interacting with others, but. Like, did you did you like that? Was that uh, like was it too heavy handed or was it fun? I thought it was fun for me. I, I enjoyed reading about them and and definitely seeing the different perspective you get from characters who aren't as attached to the main storyline as as you go through. I I thought it was a fun read. I thought so, too. I thought Chev was maybe too similar of a character to Shy from Red Country. I couldn't distinguish them a whole lot. I mean, I know there are differences, but just in terms of like their internal monologues and, and who they were, they, they felt similar to me, maybe just because they both started with SH and and they were <laughs> like uh, female characters of slider builds, both of them. I, I don't know. That was just one thing. Who have troubled pasts. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of similarities there and maybe they could have been a little more distinct. Yeah, that's true. The, the difference is, though, that Shvedia likes girls, whereas Shy likes boys. There is that. This the difference mm-hmm. in sexuality. Okay, book three, The Fool Jobs, takes place a year later. This is a Kerndon Craw plus his dozen story, and they're sent to reco- recover some kind of thing by, uh, I think, by Bethod at the time. And you see Warren, who is grumpy currently. We see Warren, uh, I guess Warren, in a couple different states of mind here he's uh, in, in a later story he's in an entirely different mood and this is like a small scale look on these guys that we know from the heroes pretty well what did you think of this one 
So this is, if I'm remembering correctly, this is Weirin before he's made a name for himself. In The Heroes, everybody knows about Weirin and his sword. And I just remember how he kind of, how he can talk down a threat of combat just by saying, do you want me to unsheath my sword? Because right. if I unsheath my sword, I'm going to, it has to be sated with blood. But in this story, uh, and Cross just, he thinks about him in his head and they think he's pretty weird, right? They're, yep. they're just like, he's this weird guy who doesn't really wear any armor, doesn't wear a shirt. And so it's, it's a little bit fun to see how they treated him before. I mean, they always thought he was weird, right? He, they call him Cracknut is his yeah, I guess, little nickname. I guess that's true, but they didn't have the accompanying respect. Is, is it at the end of this short story where Weirin kills a bunch of people on his own? Well, he definitely does in Two's Company, but is it in this one as well? I'm I'm not sure. I can't remember. I thought it was in that one. It, everybody, because this this is the this is the story where they are infiltrating, or they're they're trying to steal this object, right? And Kerndon notices the object, object, and then that other his his other member of his crew accidentally her on purpose steals the goblet because they think it's it's the proper thing or he thinks that's the thing that they were supposed to steal and then it turned out that the church burned down or whatever with the item they were supposed to get and this just kind of highlights again one of the big themes from the heroes in that war and these types of things are just so pointless and there's so much miscommunication and bumbling errors and really best to avoid yeah. entirely <laughs> Yeah, that's a pretty common thing of Joe Abercrombie books is just war and battle is just a waste of life, really. I do think it's funny when Krah finally sees the Father of Swords, when uh, Weirin unveils it, he looks at it and he's like, this is just a big hunk of metal. This thing is so overrated. (laughs) Why is it called the Father of Swords? Yeah. All right, story number four, we're back with Chev and Javre. And they are fleeing a, another disaster that's happened. There is much destruction here as they skip town. And this is where we get introduced to these Temple Knights of Thond, which is a real interesting but very nebulous idea. Like we all we know really are that there are these knights and they have different powers. And it appears to be different than the magic that we've seen in other aspects like it's different than the bias magic and it's different than the gurkish magic and eater magic but really i can't tell you a whole lot about it mm-hmm. yeah and it starts to reveal a little bit more about javra's past i guess to highlight what what you're saying is recently i've been i've like i said i've been reading a lot of sanderson books where his magic systems are just very well defined and there's it's almost scientific in the way that magic works and in his worlds but this is in joe abercrombie's book there's there's a wide variety of different magics that it's not well explained how they work and you can't go asking yourself or asking a lot of questions exactly about why things are the way that they are they just are why why do people get power when they eat human flesh i don't know they just do they right. just become superhuman. Right. It's very much a soft system. Sanderson is on the complete other side of the spectrum with his hard magic system. 
it's a preference thing. Mm -hmm. both, both are valid ways to construct a story. So uh, let's go on to story number five, which is hell. This is a popular one, I know. It might be because it's through the eyes of Temple. It's the fall of Degasca, which we saw in the second book of the trilogy and before they were hanged. We saw this through Glockta's eyes. Now we're seeing it a little bit more intensely through Temple's eyes. And I don't like this was a, this was a highlight for me. I, I enjoyed this story. Yeah, I really liked this story. This is definitely one of my favorite stories. You see um, a bit more about Temple and he's, you know, just his, his old habits. He has good intents, but it never really follows through with them. Mm hmm. And you see the same internal dialogue within him where he's he wants to run away, but his master, that high priest, is his name Cardi? Cardi? Cardia. Cardia. He's like the only truly good character in the entire series, yeah. right? He just bravely faces down these eaters and his very heroic responses uh, when the eaters threaten, uh, they say, we'll either take all these people or we'll take you. And he's like, that's a poor bargain. I would have traded my life for any single person. Mm -hmm. here. And, and he goes off possibly to die. I like to think that maybe he's not dead, but seems like most people are against me there. Yeah. The exact line. I think I remember they say something about, we will convey you to the table of the prophet, right? Like yeah. as if they are Prophet's going to table. eat him. Yeah. What, one thing I did, like another another thing that I liked was when he was talking to the head eater Mamun and talking about choices. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of see behind the mask of Mamun. In the first trilogy, I thought that Mamun was more portrayed as just pure villain, not a lot of good to him. But here you can see that he he regrets a lot of his choices. And I think he even says that if he could, if he could go back, maybe he would have done things differently, uh, but he can't. And so it, I, that's something I wasn't expecting to see is this hint of regret in Mamun's facade. Yeah, I think that's one thing that this series of short stories, Sharpens, really does in several different ways is gives you different views into what was previously established in the other books. There are, I mean, mm -hmm. especially with Glockta, we already talked about that. Now with Mamun, and then at the end with Logan and Bethod, and there are probably some other examples as well, really kind of takes what you may have suspected about characters or maybe was just hinted at and, and given you another view that gives you even an, another angle on them. Yeah. So next story, Two's Company. This is another Giavre and Chev story. I think this was my favorite of their stories. This is the bridge story. Uh, this was the other story mm -hmm. with uh, we're in and they are crossing this bridge out in the middle of nowhere in the north. And it's very funny as Javre and we're in have this bizarro battle of their levels of pride. And then they get into some conflict uh, with some additional temple knights and with some Northmen there's a lot of parallels in what's going on here. What do you think of this one? I thought it was pretty funny. I liked this one a lot as well. Just the back and forth between Weirin and Javra, and you're you're cringing along with 
uh, Shevetia yeah. as these two these two people, we, these two warriors with enormous egos are just unwilling to back down. And then uh, I thought the ending was a little bit weird where Javra and Weirin just kind of go off to the side and have sex. But besides that, it was pretty funny. Yeah, Sheb is the adult in the room and Javra and Weirin are both basically children trying to, I guess, compare measurements, we'll say. Yeah. And then at the end, they have the they have the cool battle with the, uh, is it the Northmen who are after Weirin of Lie? Yeah, the Northmen are after Weirin and then the Temple Knights of Thond come after Javra. And in both cases, they help each other with their conflict. And then at the end, they're like, okay, we're going to go off our separate ways. Oh, wait, but you have to go first, or I have to go first. And they back to the whole who's going to cross the bridge first. It's a oh, very yeah. tightly knit story. I thought, well, no, I thought at the end they agreed to, they would travel together for a little bit and help each other out. They do. There there was another thing where they were comparing, they, they, they were trying to determine who was going to be the first to do something. I remember it called back to the bridge thing at the beginning really well. Hmm. Okay. Okay, next story is Wrong Place, Wrong Time. This is essentially the best served cold behind the scenes story. This was a story that had three separate parts to it, three different points of view. And you saw the some of the main catastrophic events through boots on the ground types points of view. So you saw the poisoning of Malthus and the rest of the bank. You saw the whole Sapani disaster. You saw uh, Gost as well. And then you saw the battle at Ospria and, and through in that one, you actually see Shivers and Monza. So this one was another good one. I, I like the minor characters that Joe likes to put in there and establish things through their eyes. And I always like to get behind the scenes on something we've seen already. Yeah, it's it it does reinforce the tragedy of some of the events and best served cold for sure. You see the hopes, ambitions, struggles of this accountant clerk who right. works under Malthus. This nobody. And yeah, he's he's essentially nobody, but Abercrombie kind of introduces you to him a little bit and you get a sense of his life and then he dies at the end of that story. And I guess it gives you another sense of all of the, the lost life when they poison all of those people who work at the bank right. just to kill one, one Malthus right. just for vengeance. And I, I, maybe that that story helps reinforce that point a little bit more. Yeah, it's kind of sad. I mean, you see this small guy's hopes and dreams and his wife and his child and and then he dead. And who's going to take care of his family? And, and how's that going to work? And who knows? But not Valentin Bulk. Yeah, so certainly sure. not. The, uh, the Sapani story I thought was good as well. Kind of a similar types of things. You see things through... The eyes of, yeah, you see things through the eyes of, of a whore there that's like servicing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and she gets killed in the in the fire and everything. And then the final battle, I thought this was my favorite one because it's, again, a nobody that's fighting. And then at the end, he turns sides to join the winning team. And he's like, yeah, yeah go Monza. <laughs> yeah, he's, think, he's like, thank goodness I didn't get a, a uniform. Yeah, or... yeah, at the beginning, he's like, jealous and he wants a uniform and then by the end he's like oh good thing i didn't have one of those or i'd be dead yeah wait so oh yeah so bremer dan gorst he was he was in sapani that's right Right. very fateful event in in several different books now Mm -hmm. 
So next story yeah. is the Red Country backstory for Shy. So this one, I'm going to say, was the saddest story for me. At the time, Shy was an outlaw. She goes by Smoke. She acquires a bunch of gold and is on the run from her old comrades and eventually ends up killing them and loses all of the money. And it's just real sad. Yep. I don't remember this one all that well. I think I glossed over the combat a little bit. I just got the sense that she was just in a very desperate battle for her own life and somehow comes out on top. She essentially winds up in this ghost town and she's fighting her old bandit friends and kills them one by one. And then as the last one dies, he throws the gold into the well and Shy goes to grab it and she does, but then the sack breaks and all the gold tumbles down the well And once again, the whole thing was for nothing because she lost everything and didn't even get gold at the end and was seriously wounded. And, you know, this is obviously the scars that she's carrying up until the events of Red Country. Mm -hmm. Okay, next we have another we have another battle story. This one is from the heroes. Well, it's not necessarily from the heroes, but it's related to that time period. It's through the eyes of Gost, who is now the royal observer of the war. He's reporting back to King Jezza. And this one also has several different viewpoints, multiple viewpoints. We kind of like jump from character to character as they die or have unfortunate things happen to them. So really like the same beats as the heroes in this one. This was very interesting because it gives you two different perspectives of gorse you see one perspective where he politely walks up to the northman and the northman the northman's really worried that they're just gonna take everything of value and possibly kill him and his family yeah. and so he's worried and gorse is just like oh do you think i can have a cup of milk and he's like uh yeah okay and um and then the battle ensues i think uh the union army is attacked by some northmen and Gorse goes out to fight some people. And then uh, you see it switches to the perspective of a Union soldier near Gorst. He's like, oh, yes, finally, I'm going to fight next to somebody who's like a skilled fighter. This is kind of, this is what I signed up yeah. for. And then Gorst, without even just in his bloodlust rage, just kind of kills him by swinging his sword. So you see this this bloodthirsty side of Gorst. And then after that, he goes back to the place and he like pays them a ton of money just for the glass of milk. And he's like, thank you. I'm sorry for the trouble. And then leaves. And it, 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 there's so many different ways you can take this. You see the differences in people. There's always some good and some bad in these stories. You see the waste of life and resources. This Northman has been working so hard to grow these crops and they're just destroyed by the union. And then you see this third guy who's following Gorse and finally hoping to gain some glory mm-hmm. and honor and just gets killed offhandedly. And so, I mean, what a waste war and death are in these situations. Not the first time we've seen friendly fire from Gorst. Probably not not the yeah. last time that he will do so in his blood lust rage. And yeah, I like how you talked about all those different things because it joe does a great job of giving you all these different views and then saying like 
war kind of makes none of it make sense really like that you could have mm-hmm. someone like ghost be so kind and on one side and then on the other he's just indiscriminately killing and doesn't care who dies mm-hmm. also you had some thoughts concerning the horses that died right that stuck with you oh yes thank you for reminding me about that i don't i mean i think reading fantasy you're a little bit desensitized to people dying so for me that doesn't bother me as much but then it's just always sad for me when animals are killed and i i don't necessarily know why it's it's a lot more sad but then then there's this northman who's sneaking around and he's just killing all of these horses because he was commanded or he was ordered to and he's just thinking about how one of these horses would just make so much of a difference in his village back yeah. home and here he is just slaughtering them and he, he's thinking to himself like this this is sad but ultimately he keeps doing it because that's what he's ordered to do i know you were just saying today that you were a little torn up over the fate of a certain sure blood yes no spoilers there uh yeah but if you know you know I, yeah you know you know all right next story three's a crowd this is another javra and shavedia story this is the one where uh where uh karkov dang I'm, I'm saying that wrong karkov this is shev's lover of sorts that she's always trying to figure out if she really loves her or not, or if she's about to betray her, gets taken, right? She Well, she, Shev thinks that she is betraying her, but she's been taken by Harald the Finger. And then Shev has to bust in with drunk Javra in order to save her. But then at the end of the day, there are a bunch of Temple Knights come in. This was a good one, I think, for both of their characters. It showed another side. This time it was Shev who was doing the cool stuff and Jabra who was more of the, the idiot and, and wasn't, I mean, Jabra is always kind of the comic relief, but at the same time, there's a lot going on in this one. Like the, the plot might've been a little too much for the amount of page space that we got in this one. Yeah, I can ag- agree with that. And, and you forgot to mention, I believe at the beginning of this story, you see Monza and her son, her son is crowned right. as right. king right. of the kingdoms. Of Styria. You're still not sure. Uh, of, oh, yeah, of Styria. And you're still not sure. Is is this Logan's son? Or Shivers. is this actually... Oh, I've done that before, and I'll probably do it again. Yeah. Is this Shivers' There's a similarity son? There too. Or is, there, is this the son of that other guy who crowned himself king, but the crown was poisoned and at the end of Best Served Cold? Yeah, dang. I know that guy's name. But it's not coming to mind right now. <laughs> we we encounter so many different names in fantasy that probably starts with an S. A lot of them just he's like the Duke of Austria. I don't know. So, anyways, that, that that's kind of a big event that we get some sort of hint at where Monza is at because we've seen shivers in a lot of these standalone novels, and we have a sense of what he's moved on to but we didn't necessarily know with with monza and now we see that she's consolidated power enough to crown her own son she's King. basically the most powerful person in the world right now they've turned back the union a few times at least and she's now got control over all of styria and i do know i i know the name now and i didn't even look it up okay. i started googling 
and then I remembered it's it's Rogant. Rogant. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's not a noteworthy name. Yeah, I mean, and he wasn't a super noteworthy character other than winning a couple battles and dying from a poisoned crown. Yeah. Anyways, getting back to your point. But no, but no, you're, story... you're right, because I think that event might be the biggest event in this entire collection of short stories as far as like, where is it going from here? Because the fact that Monza is leading Styria and Styria is so powerful, that's got to be important for our next trilogy. I'm assuming. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't even looked up the description for A Little Hatred. So I don't even know where the story go, where it begins in that in that book. So it certainly could have yeah. I mean, Monza being the, the queen, de facto queen, or I guess the mother of the, the only thing I know about say. it. And this is not a spoiler because it's in the description. And I just kind of glanced at it was it features a heavily features the daughter of Glockta and Adi West. Well, not really Glockta, right? But is it is it it's it's Jez's daughter, right? Right. right. She she's featured. Okay. So I'm assuming Union. Okay. Maybe that sounds familiar. Maybe I did read the description once upon a time. Anyway, you were saying. Well I was agreeing with you that there's a lot crammed into this because Shivetia comes back she thinks that harold the finger has forgiven her for killing his son and then she comes back in her apartment is ransacked and karkov is missing and she, so then she like she runs to javra tries to get her help of course javra is her best friend so she agrees to help then they go assault the harold the fingers they castle. have a nice like moment of realizing how much they mean to each other as well this is after years of working together and they're kind of on the outs they've been on the outs a little bit with chev's recent success and then there's this moment where chev realizes exactly you know the jobber is her best friend and that, that was a nice moment i was touched by that that was at, that was at the end right when she when she realizes that this has all been set as a trap to attract chevedia because they knew that she would she would enlist Javra's help. And so she brings Javra. Right. Well, it's all a trap for Javra. Yeah. Is that when she realizes or is it when they're like rowing over in the boat? I thought it was beforehand. And then it calls oh. back to it when they realize that, yeah. that Javra has been trapped here. It could have been rowing in the boat. I just remembered the the ending part where she thinks about how Javra dropped everything to come and help her. And Karkov hasn't really done right. that. Karkov has always kind of right. comes and goes as she wants. Yeah. And Karkov is the worst. Reliable, really is. She just she just has the good. It's a looks. toxic relationship. You got to get out of that one, Chef. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chef, go find somebody else who will love you. Okay, next story, and there's only three more here. So next one is freedom, and this one is fun for a few reasons. One, it's fun because it's read by Joe Abercrombie, not by Stephen Pacey. Stephen Pacey is fantastic, don't get me wrong. But I think it's cool that the author's reading his own story. And two, it's fun because it's this entirely falsified account of the actual events of Red Country. But it's like what you would have read based off of the book version of the events with Swarbrick writing down what Casca was doing. So it was just like perfectly witty and dark in a way that featured all of Abercrombie's talents. I thought this was fantastic. 
Yeah, it was, you know, a very over-embellished, falsified right. account of... What's that, guys? Oh, my gosh. Of Casca uh, and, and Aberstock? Yeah, of Casca. And you just listen to it, and it's mainly just comic relief. Yeah. You just chuckle at 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 all the the glorious actions and the incredible regret that Casca has as as he goes through but everybody having read the heroes knows or read red country knows that anything but was glorious Couldn't you tell how much fun Abercrombie had writing this story this totally just felt like a pet project yeah. for him that he was able to actually publish yeah I, I didn't think about that, but I, and I think that shows because he wanted to read it. Yeah, I think there's a reason he wanted to read it. Also, follow up question: Is Swarbrick Joe Abercrombie? Like, is that who he's supposed to be in terms of like? Did he write himself in, in the book? Yeah, did he write himself into the story and give himself a new name? Hmm. I'll have to think about. I kind of like to think that it is, but I have no reason to think that it is. I wonder if there's some like words of Joe supporting that. But if you're an author, that's, you know, that's who you would be, right? And at the end, Swarbrick is somewhat of a hero. I feel like Joe's writing himself in here, but I don't know. Yeah, as a relatively minor character who yeah. plays a somewhat major part. And oh, the funny thing also was the story, how it was found. It was crumpled up inside an old boot or something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, there was or... a foreword to the story that talked about the history of finding this manuscript it was a lot of fun and i think that's that alone makes it worth at least renting the audiobook from a library if you can just it's fun to read or to listen to joe abercrombie telling his own story and the fun that he has with it i i mentioned this to you before steven it does also give me an appreciation for stephen pacey just the the level of training that he yeah. has and you know he's like a true professional as good as joe abercrombie was you realize that stephen pacey is just very professional narrator probably one of my favorites. yeah he's honestly. fantastic i i think he's my top audiobook narrator of books that i've listened to yeah i mean i'm sure there's mm -hmm. lots of great ones but as far as my experience he's number one he's not just a narrator he does a lot of professional things he's an actor so he he does have that training. Yeah. And yeah, it takes more than just a passion mm -hmm. for reading to be an audiobook narrator, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it crushes my dream of narrating one day. Seems like a sweet gig. Maybe. Um, until you get a, a book, an epic fantasy novel, and you have no clue how to pronounce anybody's names, and then you pronounce one person's name wrong the whole time, and all the fans hate you. Yeah, like Jake from Phantology hates you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sir Snobian of pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> That's a Phantology deep cut. All right. Second to last story is Tough Times All Over. This is another fun one with multiple viewpoints as we follow a mysterious package that is going all over. Ah, what? Where is it? I think it's somewhere in Sapani, but I'm, I might be wrong there. So fact check me there. Anyway, it doesn't really necessarily matter where it is, but it is fun seeing all the different factions that are trying to get this package and Javre and Shavedia are once again involved in this. So what is the package? That's kind of the big mystery. The I think part of the story is you never know and it doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think we ever will know. You're right. And it, it's just another fun story told by Joe Abercrombie of 
all these characters and just this huge convoluted story of one person robbing another, robbing another, robbing another. And finally it ends up right back where it started and Karkov stands. And I love these multiple viewpoint things. It's amazing that I feel like Joe Abercrombie, maybe other authors try to do this as well, but Abercrombie does it way better than anyone else I've ever read. It's amazing how he draws you into these real Mm -hmm. minor characters on these short viewpoints. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In such a short amount of pages, he can, he can really tell quite a lot. It's something he likes to throw in is just like a, a change of pace in a lot of his books as well. I know there's, there's at least one chapter in the heroes. There's one in best of cold. There's one in last argument of Kings. There may be one in some other books as well, but every time they come up, I, I always love those chapters. Mm-hmm. All right. The final story. And we backtrack in time to before it all happened. This story is made a monster And I know you have some thoughts with a capital T about this story because we finally get to see our main man, Logan, in a different light. We also get to see Bethod in a different light, as well as Calder and Scale. And how much did this story change things for you, Ryan? Well, I think not as much as I I think immediately following the story. I thought of Bethod as maybe he wasn't that bad of a guy. And wow, Logan was just a really bad person and deserved everything he got. And I think my controversial opinion came more as I thought about the events of this story, because you really see how Bethod, he he really desires peace. And he he's used Logan kind of as a tool to get where his success is but now now that he wants peace he's not sure that logan in his current state will fit in and it's it's tragic because right when they're about to have peace logan throws a wrench in the plan and kills the son of rattleneck is that his name is it rattleneck rattle shirt is song of ice and fire right rattle something rattle something but as i thought about it more this this conflict, this internal conflict as I'm reading these stories is, is Logan a good person deep down? I know he's done a lot of bad, but is he at his core a good person or does he no. want to do good? And I know you're shaking <laughs> no, your head. I'm tired of no. Logan. He can die in a ditch. Yeah, well, I, I feel a little bit differently. But this story, Bethad is not the victim I feel that this story portrays him to be because he's used Logan and spilled a lot of blood. And now that he's gotten far, he's saying, I don't want to spill any more blood. I just want peace. But this is a very hypocritical thing to do. He's, he's kind of climbed to the top on a mountain of bodies. And now he's saying, uh, let's just forget about the mountain of uh-huh. bodies. Let, let's just, let's just have peace. That, that's all I want. And, Despite the story showing him as a little bit more of an altruist, I don't. I think he's more of just a hypocrite, and he's he's kind of fed Logan because of the bloody nine. Logan has this addiction to killing almost, and he he's fed this addiction. Yeah, he's, yeah. It's like he's you know giving a drug 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 addict his his drug right. his fix, and they need more and more and more of it. And finally, he's like, no, you don't get your drug anymore. You don't get your fix. And the drug addict's like, what? What? Like, 
I, yeah, I need you've given that. It to you me know, before. what gives? Yeah, yeah, and what ultimately makes me come back to the fact that Logan, deep down, is a good person, or he has good inside of him, is that he always, despite his this cycle of of killing that he gets himself into, he tries to break out of it, and he's trying to better himself. Yeah, he falls back into it like we see in red country after he's he's given it up for a while i mean i mean so he's he's a murderer for bethod and then bethod i don't know expels him kicks him out and when we follow him in the first trilogy he seems to be a better person and that he's he's not actively trying to kill people he's trying he's he's generally leading people to do good yeah, things yeah he, he's set up as the hero really when the when the first trilogy starts yeah mhm and at the end of the first trilogy i think he's fallen a little bit more back into his murderous side but he tries to push that off again and we see in red country once again he's at the beginning of the story he's for years, he's almost cowardly in Shai's... He is cowardly in Shai's perspective. Yeah, he's Lamb. He's cowardly as a lamb. And his name is also Lamb, or that's what Shai calls him. And then he, he gets kind of a taste of the drug again, and he starts to fall back in his old ways. And at the end of Red Country, you're not really sure where he's going. I'd like to think that he's not going to fall back into his old ways, but who knows? Maybe I'll be proved wrong. That was my long Logan rant. That was a little bit outside of the scope and my perspective on this, this last story, uh, which is obviously a bit more controversial than or different from what other people might think. Let's hear what you thought about it. So I jokingly say that I would like to have Logan die in a ditch. And I think I would be fine with that. I feel like we still don't know enough to make a real determination on is logan good at his core or does he have goodness inside of him and the reason why i say that is i think we have to know more about what the bloody nine actually is like how much influence does it have over him how much does it override his free will because if it is something that indeed is like a demon that takes over him after he kills and he does not any longer have control over who he is or it tempts him so much or feeds into an addiction that he cannot control then i think we have to be a little more apologetic towards logan and recognize that he has a severe handicap in being good if there is like a literal demon that's making him into this monstrous murderer but if the bloody nine is more of just like an alter ego type of thing that he can choose to go in and out of really and he really does want to kill then i think we we settle on the dying ditch that, that's my take on Logan. So basically, Raffo. But we probably won't. I, I don't expect Logan to be back. I, I think we've seen the last of him. I don't know. I guess we'll, we'll read a little hatred and probably find something out. I thought I read somewhere that Joe Abercrombie was expecting Logan. He was expecting to be done with Logan after the first trilogy. And then there was, uh, with Red Country, he had an opportunity to... Yeah, I think I think someone on our Discord was informing us of those words of Joe. Okay. Yeah. So if if that's the case, then we probably won't see Logan anymore, and we won't get any further. I think it's amazing you kind of reference this, but it's amazing how even though you're reading words on the page in Sharpens in the Made a Monster story, 
that directly describe what's happening, you know from other events that have happened that the perspective you're getting is flawed and that we can't necessarily take Bethod at his word and think that he's this peaceful, great leader guy because of what we read earlier. And so there's that whole underlying tension of the story. It like doesn't quite compute in your head. That's amazing. Yeah. What is it? It's like where the the narrator might not necessarily be truthful or your perspective. The, the unreliable is narrator trope. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a little bit of that. I mean, the narrator's reliable in the sense that they're telling you the story. They're not directly lying to the reader, but we know that there's a lot more to the story. We know that Bethod is going to go on to make this deal with the Shanka and plunge the North into years more of war. So even though he says peace and seems like this awesome leader and Logan's just screwing it all up, really there's more to it than that. And he he gets in league with Bethod too. Logan does. Oh, not no, not Logan. Uh, sorry. Oh, with Bias. Bethod gets in league yeah. with Bias. Yeah, I was yeah. I was getting Bias. Bias, the real big bad. Yeah. Palpatine. Seriously. <laughs> when are we gonna see the showdown between Bias and Kobe? Are we? I don't know. That seems like something that you would expect in an epic fantasy, but I don't know if we expect it with Abercrombie. Yeah. Throw your expectations yeah. out the window, I guess. I expect further conflict with the with these two sides. It's been set up so much. We've got to have more conflict. I mean, Abercrombie's now set the table. He can do a whole lot of stuff in the next trilogy. And I've heard great things about the first yeah. book. And I think the, the initial reads on Trouble with Peace are also really positive. So really looking forward to getting into those. I'll let you know how they are without spoilers. Once you finish your Sander binge. Uh-huh. So who are you gonna do who are you gonna do the episodes with, Steven? We'll have to Just find yourself? some other content creators out there. Yeah, I know there's some other fans out there. And so, so we'll probably do some collaboration mm-hmm. episodes on those ones. Okay. Cool. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, I guess this episode did turn into a full length episode because there's always a lot to say about about our man Joe. Mm-hmm. But if you like Phantology, we are online at www.phantologybooks.com on social media at Phantology Books. Check us out on Discord and let us know the mistakes that we just made. Please fact check us because we are always making mistakes. We are just fans of the series. We know there are more passionate experts out there. We'd love to have those people come onto our Discord and start some more conversations. Let us know your theories and takes, etc. Please do so. We, uh, we'd love to grow, continue to grow our community. So, Ryan, this has been good. Thank you. Are we going to do our top oh, three? Oh, you're right. Let's do our top three. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Let's let's briefly, as we wrap up here, let's go through and each one of us give our top three. So do you want to go first? Top three stories and sharpens? Yeah, I'll give my top three. I don't, I don't think they are in any particular order, but the last story with Bethod and okay, made Logan, a monster. what was that one called? Made a monster. That was hit me in all the feels that was one of my top three the other one was two's company i just thought that was a fun story to read and i love the back and forth between weir and javra and the other one in my top three is gonna go to hell i believe it's called with Katia and temple, Katia yeah. and, temple and mamoon that was also very interesting how it depicted uh, mamoon and the eaters and Cody okay, as well. I'll give you my top three. Number three, I'm also going to put Made a Monster in there because of all of the discussion that it creates and the the new ways we can view some of these characters. 
I think that's a great thing to introduce into a collection of short stories. So that's number three. Number two, I'm going to say I want a I want a Javre and Chev story in there. You already took Two's Company. Two's Company is solid, but I'm going to take Tough Times all over because I just love this idea of the package that contains the mysterious nothing. And I love all these multiple viewpoint mm-hmm. type. Uh, I, I love this way of writing. So that's number two. And number one, which I'm shocked this story is not loved as much as I loved it. But number one is freedom. I just love the writing here. I think it was hilarious the entire time. I was so into the the dark wit here and actually ran into a mm-hmm. Reddit poll asking for people to vote on their favorite Sharpen stories. And no one, like, there was like zero votes for freedom. So I don't know what's wrong with you guys. Freedom is clearly the best story. Well, it is. I mean, I, I think that the the subreddit for the first law is very underappreciated. There's not a lot of contributors to that. So how many votes total? There were, were there? there were tens of votes, at least. Yeah. <laughs> tens of votes. Okay. All right. I think the top one had like 40 something. I don't remember what it was offhand. Okay. All right. All right. So thanks for thanks for listening to Phantology. Check us out online and hop on Discord and please let us know your opinions. And we will see you guys all next time. Good to discuss another Joe Abercrombie novel. See you, Ryan. See ya.